Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rave line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC has... Escaped the Groundhog Day existence and has ended the Helton era. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 418, coming to you on Friday, September 24th. We're going to look forward to tomorrow's USC against Oregon State game at the Coliseum. A little bit of a late game preview this week, but let's get into it. SC and the Beavers, uh, it should be a good one. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Random Troy, like us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Omni, wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. Our email address is Troy at fansetter.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1-USC-SUCKA-WHAT'S-BURN-SHOW. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, here in the Reina Troy studio in Los Angeles, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. We are back a little bit late uh, in the week. Uh, it has been uh, quite a busy week. We talked about it earlier that we were uh, expecting to be late this week because uh, we weren't going to have a traditional Fallout episode followed by a game preview episode in the week because somebody had to have a birthday. Somebody got one year older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Uh, and then we went to record uh, the next day, and you didn't feel good. No, no. Uh, <laughs> as happens, uh, I got hit by the truck known as Migraine. Yeah. So, so. that is that is delayed uh, our episode to today, which is... Thursday night we're recording this, which will go up on Friday for you guys to listen to. Which kind of worked a, out because a, there was some big news that hit on Thursday. So you know. yeah, that that came out. We're gonna get to that in the in the news segment. Uh, it's also helpful that it is a late game on Saturday, uh, so people have a little bit of more time to listen to the game preview before SC uh, and the Beavers, seven thirty p.m. on FS1. It's the first home game of the Dante Williams era. So we'll see what the attendance looks like uh, on Saturday. But you guys were fired up after USC's big win over the Washington State Cougars, 45-14, up at Martin Stadium in Pullman. 
Here's what you guys had to say in the rave line last week. Hey, Michael Alicia, Scott from Memphis. Hey, it's Mark from Wyoming. Michael in the 563 Dubuque. Hey, guys. Jeff in Copenhagen. This is Kevin from Philly. Hey, Skill out of Des Moines, Iowa. Hi, guys. Trini from the west side. Hey, this is Alex from Illinois. This is Chris from North Orange County. Hi, this is Chris from Jersey calling from Pullman, Washington. As you can tell, I have no voice right now because I've been screaming for the Trojans for the last couple hours. Fourth quarter is not even over with yet, and I'm calling to rant. This is the way USC should, football should be. We win all the time. No worries. Game over. Fight the F on. Uh, Let's open up that rave line. Let's get it going, baby. Fight on. Woo! I just want to start this rant by saying shout out to all the non-believers who gave up on this team in the first quarter. And I was just like, oh no, here we go again. It's going to be another subpar performance. I keep thinking, you know, between USC and the Raiders, like, I'm not going to just sit through that football anymore. Life is too short. I got other things I can do. When it looks dark, when things look bleak and they quit because you know what they forgot? They forgot Trojans fight on, baby. Let's go. Jackson came in like the team, the entire team rallied around him and they just continued to play lights out. I am really impressed with how uh, they got it together after being behind 14-0 uh, under the prior regime that this type of comeback wouldn't happen. All Helton had to do was kiss his players. Seeing them, you know, pull it together, hold on defensively in that incredible third quarter. The best third quarter I feel like I've seen in years. Like, years. And all that time that I was ranting, SD went ahead and scored again, so I'm just going to keep calling until they stop doing that. But holy crap, what a freaking game, man. I, I, I forgot what the ceiling is like. Like, somebody needs to slap me and wake me up, but that is exactly how USC needs to play every single game. I'm freaking thrilled. Let's go. Fight on, baby. Woo! I I just got done watching SC score 3,500 points in the, the third quarter, and I'm, I'm happy. My wife and two kids are at a pet adoption event, and they could come home with two cats, and I don't even care. It's just great to have a win and not worry about how, what this means for the future. Just enjoy the team, be in this moment, and take football for what it is. I'm very, I'm just super proud to be a Trojan fan today. Tonight, they played wonderfully. There's hope for this season now. I truly believe that. And we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to jinx it. But there is hope. And week by week, more hope. And we'll talk a little bit further. You know, maybe Dante Williams wins that. wins up in the playoffs and he can keep the job. Maybe not. But he stays on as recruiting coordinator. I don't know. Because if SC continues to win, they're going to want Dante to take over for, as head coach. And we know how that's turned out. All I have to say is fight on we are SC and hashtag start dart. The Jackson Dart era has officially begun. First time caller, long time USC fan, started with the Bush era, but now it's the Jackson Dart era. I felt that USC had fire out there that in Dart was not with Slovis. Jackson Dart is the biggest talent we've seen on the field since Sam Darnold. First time I've been really excited about a USC offense since, I don't know, maybe Matt Barkley or Mark Sanchez. That That's the kind of offense we need. Coliseum will be packed by the UCLA game if you continue to ride Jackson Dart. We're going to win the rest of the games this year. Jackson Dart's the man. Let's go. Fight on, baby. We back. Let's go. Best Saturday I've had in a long time. 
Fight on. Go Trojans. So, that's all I got. All right. That's it for me. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. And uh, beat the Beavers. Fight on. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Fight on. Fight out. Bye-bye. There you go. At least you have people fired up. Feeling good. It is good to have a good old-fashioned rave line, like for a game. A game rave line. I mean, we really haven't had very many of those. And the ones that we have had recently came with kind of like a an undercurrent of why aren't these happening more often? Uh, is this real? Like, there, just again, the weight has been lifted and I think people were able to, to have fun watching that game in a way that yeah. it's been a long time to sit back and just without any undercurrents of... of what does this mean for the program going forward? Or, or is, you know, is this a false positive kind of situation? Like, no, it was just it was just fun to sit back and watch USC on Saturday. Yeah, hundred percent. And we we saw that in the calls. Look how many people said that they didn't know what this felt like to uh, yeah it's, to, it's to, been watch, a while. to watch SC uh, win a game the way that they did, which was uh, emphatically, despite falling down fourteen uh, nothing early on. Not doing anything for the first 29 minutes and then just completely dominating uh, Washington State for the final 31 minutes with a barrage of 45 unanswered points. The, so. the, it was the first 38-point second half for USC since 2005. That's a long time. Yeah, that's a real long time. And and that goes along with sort of my uh, my takeaway from the game, which was this felt like a Pete Carroll, like Pete Carroll era classic. It's interesting because I I want to say that's the Oregon game in two thousand five, and I in the middle of the game I thought this feels like the Oregon game because that Oregon game as uh, I want to say September twenty fourth two thousand five uh, saw the Eagles at the at Staples Center that night. Hey, that was a good day for you. Yeah, we went to uh, we went to a bar in downtown and then walked to Staples afterwards. And I remember telling my dad in Staples, like during an intermission of the concert, that was the best game Pete Carroll had ever coached because SC had fallen down in that that game. I want to say it was thirteen to three, thirteen nothing early on, and then just blew the doors off of Oregon. Uh, particularly in the second half. Like, it, they, they got some breaks at the end of the first half, but just blew the doors off of them uh, in the second half. Yeah, I mean, then that's that was what Pete Carroll teams did. And there was a sense of invulnerability. You could go into halftime trailing 10. You could go into halftime trailing 14 and not feel like it was the end of the world. It was, it was like there was this, like, confidence that, USC's going to come out in the third quarter and look real damn good because they always did. Yeah, and and that was new. That was new for this uh, this era, this age. Right. Uh, there are USC fans out there who have never experienced that because uh, you know the the young the younglings who uh, who didn't really get to to experience the heyday of of those Pete Carroll comebacks. So it was nice. Yeah, Heck, even the the Oregon State game in two thousand eight had a yeah. had a. Come back, a little flirtatious one. Yeah, there was always. I mean, it wasn't always a successful comeback. No, two thousand six against was. Oregon State, there was yeah. a comeback. It was the two point conversion at the end of the game. It was yeah. batted down. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of SC comebacks uh, in the Pete Carroll days, uh, and uh, SC looked like they put together one of those over the weekend. 
And you guys are giving us a lot of comebacks over on Apple Podcasts with your reviews. Alicia, we got a new review. You want to read it? Yeah, we got five stars from Patrick uh, Avon. Avon? Avon? Tell us the correct correct one of those if if one of them is is right patrick a weekly sc fix love this podcast been listening for years now and it's my go-to for usc news and game previews can't imagine sc football without michael and alicia so thank you so much patrick for that wonderful review and uh, we can't imagine sc football without y'all listening to us yeah you guys are awesome we couldn't do this without you uh, as always, the rot bots are the best in the world, uh, and we love you guys, and we're excited, even though uh, only one podcast this week, but hey, we're going to make the most of it, eh? Yep. Well, I mean, to, uh, I guess uh, the, the Washington car State CarCast was yeah, on a, Saturday, so... Uh, two pods. Yeah. Hey, we had a, sort of an extra podcast last week. We did. Yeah, well, we did. For it, yep. so. All right, let's get to the news, because there is big, gigantic news to get to. Alrighty, Alicia, the only thing worth talking about in the news is the big injury update that is Nick Figueroa back at practice. <laughs> yeah, that's the one everyone's talking about. Nick Figueroa back at practice. Yeah. Oh, and then there's Keaton Slovis back at practice. And Miller Moss is the second string practice quarterback because Jackson Darts. Uh, in a report from our friend Keely Orr of uscfootball.com that came out on Thursday nights, he is out for an undisclosed period of time with a torn meniscus, uh, and he had surgery to repair it this week. Yeah, so that was very much kept hidden, kept under wraps by USC. Dante Williams the entire time was saying he's day-to-day, we're sort of keeping him out as a precaution, all this kind of stuff. But now we know he had surgery and is definitely out and has been out. <laughs> so, like, um, I think it was pretty clear when he didn't practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. So, like, he was not going to go into play in this game. They were never going to start the true freshman quarterback who wasn't able to practice during the week. But the the concern now is, okay, how long does a torn meniscus need to to recover to get back on the football field? Uh, my quick, you know, search online came back with things from like four to six weeks, depending on severity. You hear about people getting back in three weeks. If it wasn't super severe, could take longer than six weeks. So uh, this is a huge mystery. It could be, you know, it, 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 we, could, we, we might not see Jackson Dart again this season. We might see him, you know... To, by the time the bye week comes around, who knows? But it, it's unfortunate because that quarterback controversy that we were all sort of looking forward to see resolved this week, it just just deflated like a, I don't like know. Like a Lane Kiffin football. Like a Lane Kiffin football. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, so on the one hand, on the one hand, this lets Dante Williams off the hook because he doesn't have to make the hey, tough decision. It is your fault. It is your fault. In the car cast. I said I like, didn't want to have to make I wanted the decision made for <laughs> for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um I mean of all the of all the 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 
eventualities here, like Slovis being perfectly fine and Dart being the one that's out was not the one that I had had money on. Not that I had money on any of this, but like that's not what I would have guessed coming out of that game. Uh, but I mean, at the very least, USC can USC should feel lucky that Slovis came back with all of his tests. Oh, absolutely, as yeah. as good to go, and he was able to practice this whole week because. There, there is a universe where both Keaton Slovis and Jackson Dart aren't available this week, and USC's get gearing up to start Miller Moss with a walk-on as the backup quarterback against Oregon State. Yep. So, like, things could be way, way worse. Well, I we mean, saw, as, we saw it in 2018 with Jack Sears, remember? Yeah, yeah, where just things things went crazy. And uh, as, as John Wilner tweeted uh, at, after the news broke about Dart surgery, it was like, well, I guess USC is going to have to settle for starting the uh, preseason all Pac-12 first team quarterback. So, you know, it's a weird feeling of like they're settling, but Yeah, and last year's first team all Pac-12 quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Like I think there's there's a sense of disappointment because there was this sort of magical what if possibility that Jackson Dart brought to the table. But I was arguing with people all week like Keaton Slow was still arguably the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, Keaton Slovis, you you put out on Twitter, had put up just as good of numbers against Washington State last year. This defense was built to be beaten by USC's offensive attack. We don't know if Slovis would have put up the same, you know, 40-odd points as Dart ultimately did. And it didn't seem like a... It didn't seem particularly fair for Slovis to lose his job over that one performance. Uh, if, if it felt like to me like he needed, there needed to be more to it. So Slovis is going to get his opportunity now to remind USC fans why he is the best back, quarterback in the Pac-12, why he was the preseason all, all Pac-12 first team pick, and why he was a Heisman candidate. Yeah, it's really fascinating because you look at what Washington State was doing defensively. They weren't doing the things that Stanford did. They weren't doing the things that San Jose State did. They weren't dropping eight. They weren't playing passively. They were going to stop the run and force USC to throw the football. And I think against a backup quarterback, that's a that's not a terrible idea. Yeah. Make, make, make Dart beat you. Mind you, it very much felt like that was the game plan from the get-go, probably, even against Slovis. And you, you see this um, against teams that are pass-focused uh, or... Teams that are pass first usually have a defense that works that way. Uh, it's why you see this in the in the Big Twelve. I remember uh, our friends over at Traveler Hates Thursdays had uh, Ian Boyd from SB Nation on years ago when uh, Graham Harrell got hired, and he was talking about how teams defend the air raid. They defend the air raid by stopping the run, with the whole idea of well, let's. Let's get into a shootout and let's try to beat you by out air raiding you. Um, and that's how you see in the Big 12 that those those big shootouts happen all the time. That's With, why Big 12 bad exists. That's why Big 12 bad exists. And you look at what SC has done. SC, when they play teams that want to defend them that way, murder them. Washington State this year and last year. Uh, Utah two years ago. Remember yeah. they were stubbornly in man the mm -hmm. whole time? Uh, and well, they had, it, it was the same. It was make the backup beat you. Well, guess what? The backup can chuck that ball up and have yeah. Michael Pittman catch it a million times and yeah. Drake London catch it a million times. Yeah. And remember a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I was saying that the quarterback did not matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
in an air raid system where teams are going to play man coverage and try to stop the run uh, and just try to force the shootout, I yeah, I don't think the quarterback matters because I think the system is designed to win that battle uh, offensively. And when you have someone like Dart who has the, the, the wheels, that adds an even bigger proponent for you to be able to, to succeed that way. Um, but, it, but it was interesting because, again... Dart wasn't fa- facing the same coverages that Stanford uh, and San Jose State were presenting USC. And we, what we've seen in the Pac-12 is that teams defend the air raid by dropping eight. They don't do the thing in the Big 12 where they stop the run first and and decide to to just play mano a mano outside. So I don't know what that's going to mean going forward. Uh, because if Slovis is in a situation where... He's going up against a lot of man coverages. He's going to pick teams apart. We've seen him do that. We've seen him do that for two and a half years now, right? Um, But if it's a drop eight situation, he's not going to look nearly as good because SC has not proven that they can win those battles consistently. When was the last time SC faced a drop eight and like actually did something about it? The Iowa game? Maybe Notre Dame 2019? Like... It's rare, right? It's rare that SC has had success with that, whether it be Slovis or anyone uh, at quarterback. But you need to be able to have success against that. that if you want to be transcendent. And or not even, I mean, yes, if you want to be transcendent, if you want to beat the Notre Dames or the Utahs or you the, you know, win the, the ASUs of the world, the UCLAs of the world, yeah, you need to, you need to be able to beat that. But like, but also, and we're going to get into this, Oregon State is is a team that you should beat whether they drop eight or play man or do whatever. Yes, and Washington State 100%. fits into that mold as well. Both of these teams are two of the poor defenses that USC is going to face all year. So you, you, I will be looking for Keaton Slovis to come out and chuck it around and beat this de- beat this defense. And I would have expected that from Dart as well. Yeah, and I, I want to see what it looks like this week because I don't think Keaton Slovis, as it is now, is I don't think his job is on the line. With, with Dart Hurt, I don't think you're going to go to Miller Moss that way. Um, maybe. I mean, I've been proven wrong before, so we'll, yeah. we'll see. But barring any further injury from Keaton Slovis, I don't think his job is at risk as it stands right now. So I think what you want to see from him is see him bounce back. And even if it was at risk, you'd want him to see him bounce back. But I think this is going to be an opportunity for him to do that because looking at Oregon State's defense, they very much look like another defense that is designed to stop the run and force teams to throw the football. Uh, And we saw Purdue do it. We saw Hawaii do it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that comes together because this could be another recipe for Keaton Slovis to be able to throw the football around. Um, it's a matter of uh, actually doing it on, on Saturday. Well, and his mental toughness is going to play a huge role here because and his uh, next toughness because well he's his gotta, next he's got to stay healthy. Yeah, he's got to stay healthy. But but also we saw the sideline pictures. We saw him not looking at his best, and and I will be very curious to see how he copes with no Dart might not be there breathing down his neck for the next few weeks, but the specter of Dart is there. And, you know, frankly, if, if Slovis wants to be a first round quarterback in the NFL draft, this is the time where he needs to come out and 
and prove that he has what it takes to bounce back and that he has what, and we've seen him have what it takes before. So like, I'm not doubting that just this bit of adversity is going to be interesting to see him respond. Yeah. Especially when, to, to put it simply, we talked about it in the car cast. Was it the offense that was it a matchup for the offense to always win against Washington state or was it strictly dart? Yeah. I think it was probably a little bit of both, right? I think the offense was always going to win that battle. I think Dart's ability to, you know, threaten with his legs, I think, only can help. And his willingness to go downfield. He, yes. he, he put the ball in some dangerous spots. So what, does Slovis have the willingness to put the ball in some dangerous slots, spots for the sake of that big chunk gain? Yeah. And- I, I'm inclined to think he would in, in, in a man coverage situation like that. Yeah. But I don't know. We we need we need we need to see it, and I think we need Keaton Slovis to prove that it's the, if nothing else, it's the offense that can succeed with him there, uh, and it wasn't just Dart that was the catalyst for the offense that that he can do the same thing mm-hmm. uh, in this offense. Uh, let's preview this: USC and Oregon State, Locking Horns at the Coliseum, seven thirty p.m. FS1. The Beavers have not won at the Coliseum against USC since nineteen. 19- 60. 1960. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they hadn't beaten SC period from then until well from the from the what was it the the the, the mud bowl uh, back in 1967. From then they hadn't beaten SC until 2000. Uh, and who was the quarterback in that 2000 Oregon State Beavers team? Uh, Oregon State's quarterback? Yeah, I have no idea. Jonathan Smith. Ah, here goes Jonathan Smith uh, coming to the Coliseum for the first time as the Beavers head coach. And, you know, the way the Pac-12 goes, you play the North teams every other year, essentially. Uh, You play two twice in four years, right? That's how it works. So half the time you're going to play, half your seasons you're going to play Oregon State, Oregon, Washington, Washington State. But the way it's felt, I feel like... SC just hasn't played Oregon State in forever. Feels like a long time. Uh, well, didn't the it, schedules get flipped at some point? Like, did, wasn't there a longer break yeah. that, cr- that there was an extra gap that was created? And then, then they, they switched the schedules at one point. They, and then 2020 happened. Yeah, the rotations weren't working. Uh, SC had played... Um, Oregon State in 2013 and 14, and then I believe not again until 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so that got a little wonky. Uh, either way, uh, this is a this is the first time in four years since Oregon State has been at the Coliseum, uh, and yeah, first time since 1960 uh, that they could potentially get a win if they if they do win this game. How do you how do you see this one? What what is it for SC? Because we know that the the fans are energized on Twitter. We've seen a lot of people talk about how they want to pack the Coliseum and you know be there to support Dante Williams and support the players and all that. Um, I've said before I'm a little skeptical of the attendance it's, thing. This is still, still LA. I, I, it's I, still LA at 7:30 p.m. Yeah, like, I don't against think, Oregon State. I don't think there's going to be 77,500 at the game. But please, by all means, prove me wrong. I mean, I'd love, I, yeah, I'd love to be proven it, wrong here. It, it would be, it would be great to see it. But, but what are you expecting on on Saturday night? 
what am I expecting just of this game? Of any of it. Uh, like you, I, I don't think that we're going to see a full Coliseum. Uh, I think L.A. is L.A. and Oregon State is not the draw. Uh, if this if this had when like Notre Dame or UCLA, I think that then maybe you could have expected to see a packed house, but I don't expect that. Uh, what I think this is this is uh, super important for USC to to make a statement here and and continue to build up the 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 positive energy that's around the program. Yeah, against a team that they that they should beat, that they really should have an advantage over. Yeah, they should. Uh, the, the Beavers rank. 54th uh, in in the talent composite that 24-7 Sports puts out. Uh, they were not great last year, 2-5. and five. Even though 2-5, and five, in which they lost three games by six points or less against Washington, Utah, and Stanford. Any of those games could have been a coin flip. It was the COVID season. I don't put too much stock in that 2-5 and five record. Like I don't think it's a bad 2-5 and five for Oregon State to go mm-hmm. when you've got the talent disadvantage against those three teams, surely. Uh, and Jonathan Smith is still a young coach. This is his fourth season. It was his third season last year. And two years ago, Jonathan Smith's second year, they took a huge step forward. They went 5-7. Five and seven. They started the year 5-5. Five and five. It looked like they were going to have a winning record uh, and then could not win the last two games of the year. But this is a team that I think can can play you tough. And I think that we'd probably sit here and say that this team is better coached than Washington State. Uh, I would say that they've got better talent than Washington State. I they, would they've say, certainly got an offense. Yeah, they've certainly got an offense. Defense still skeptical mm-hmm. of, of the defense. When when you look at you know where they rank defensively, uh, which is not that great, 102nd in SP+. The offense, 20th in SP+. Uh, pass defense, they are 100th in the country, um, which is not much to, to write home about. So... Yeah, it looks like another week in which the the very basic profile is similar to Washington State, except better coached. Yeah, so better coached, but you get them at home. So you're sort of trading off one way or the other. Or the, other. the thing is that Jonathan Smith has done a really good job of taking a program that had really, really fallen apart and has steadily built them up to be a dangerous team, not in the sense that they're going to beat everybody that they play, but that you feel like they have a chance in most of the games that they play. I think this is a really interesting year for Oregon State because like I saw some people on Twitter when they were opening the season against Purdue and they lost that game 30 to 21, there were there were some Oregon State uh, accounts that were just talking about how like we love Jonathan Smith, but like at what point do we turn the corner and like at what point do we expect to start winning that Purdue game? Like at what point do we expect more and I think that's what this this is very much a, a, a prove it year for for Jonathan Smith and this Oregon State uh, program because they do have a dangerous offense they do seem well well coached they do seem like they should be in every game but none of that matters unless you start to really challenge the likes of a USC and and give them a scare at home even if it's even if you lose this game, I think if you're or, or Oregon State, you want to see them. You want to see USC fearing you for a little bit in this game. Yeah, you want to see SC earn it. If, I think if you're a Beaver fan, no matter what. Um, Chance Nolan is the quarterback. He did not win the battle out of fall camp. It went to Sam Neuer, who was 
Colorado's quarterback. Who I loved at Colorado, by the way. Yeah, he came out of nowhere at Colorado, won the starting job there, and looked pretty decent last year for the Buffs. He transfers, goes to Oregon State, wins the job, and plays one half of football, basically, uh, until Jonathan Smith pulls the plug when they're down big to, to Purdue, puts in Chance Nolan, and Chance Nolan goes 10 of 16, 154, 157 yards, I believe, against Purdue in week one. And it's sort of the Tanner McKee situation. Uh, they blow out uh, Hawaii and, and Idaho in back-to-back weeks. FCS Idaho. For the FCS record. Idaho and Hawaii for all intents and purposes at the moment is an FCS <laughs> it's, it's basically level team. FCS like level, that's, yeah. they're, they're not a good, this is not the best Hawaii team you've ever heard of. So, yeah, it, it's, it feels like this is an interesting situation for, for Oregon State because they can be turning a corner. You wanted to see more of that Purdue game. At the same time, this is going to be a different team than suited up at the beginning of that Purdue game with with Sam Neuer. Chance Nolan is a guy who can... I I wouldn't say he's a mobile quarterback because he's not, but he's not someone who can stay in the pocket. He he can give you some some, uh, yards on the ground. He can move uh, out of the pocket, and you got to be aware of that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that SC needs to... Definitely keep an eye on. We've seen this team going back, you know, to last year, get susceptible to QB runs. How many times early on did uh, did SC get burned by that? Remember Grant Gannell? Mm-hmm. All those runs in the first half of the Arizona game? Chance Nolan, not a runner, can, but, but he, he can, can do that. He can surely He's not a statue. That. Yeah, surely do that. Uh, the Beavs in the rushing game, they lose Jamar Jefferson, who's gone to the NFL. Uh, that's CIF state champ out of Narbonne, Jamar Jefferson. He's no longer with the Beavs, but they got BJ uh, Baylor, who's first in rushing touchdowns with seven, 19th in FBS in rushing yards per carry, 6.92 yards per carry. Uh, they got a receiving core that's that's pretty steady, uh, including Trayvon Bradford and Anthony Gould as the leading receivers. They got playmakers on offense. It's defense that's the question mark. Yeah, and Chance Nolan is is a top ten passer right now in in the country, ninth nationally in passer rating. Granted, I, it's it's so hard to evaluate what Oregon State is doing this year because the bulk of the damage that they've done have come against really not good teams in Hawaii and Idaho. USC is really the first, um, you know, team with any aspirations that they're going to face this year. So it, it's hard to tell what which of these numbers are, are legitimate? Like, is B.J. Baylor a Jamar Jefferson, uh, you know, follow-up where he can do that that kind of damage on the ground? Or is it just that he's been playing Hawaii and, and Idaho? Um, he had two two rushing touchdowns against Purdue, so, you know, that was pretty good, but it's not like Purdue is a juggernaut at this point. So they have some some pieces, and they have an offensive system that they know what they want to do. Uh, they 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 are well coached. They have consistently now over the last few years fielded a good offense, the kind of offense that has gotten them victories, despite of a, a very poor defense. So there there are things to like here. It there also might be some illusion going on, and this is what USC needs to sort through. USC, it's USC's job to make it look like though the the production that they had through those first three weeks was the illusion of playing Hawaii and USC should be able to to, to do that 
the way that the defense played against Washington State, the way that they responded later on in that game, the fire that they played with, I just if they come out with that kind of intensity, they should be fine here. Uh, they, the USC really has to be careful, though, because if they give this Oregon State offense the life, like breathe the life into them, the way that Wazoo's offense had those moments, Oregon State is more capable of making you pay for that because Oregon State has more consistently produced. Right. Uh, offensively. Yeah. Offensively. For, for sure. De- defensively, they have done very, very little. <laughs> they, They've stopped the run decently. Yeah. But, but I think that that's a lot of it is, is by design. You want to stop the run, force teams to pass. The problem is that you force teams to pass and they have a lot of success throwing against you. Right. And that, Yes. And if you're Oregon State, that's a bad matchup against if, USC. If you're Oregon State, I think you look, at, you might look at this and say, Big Twelve bat is not a terrible uh, outcome. A shootout here is not a terrible outcome for Oregon State uh, because th- this defense is going to give up points. And you know they have Avery Roberts, who is uh, 14th nationally in in tackles for loss. He's leading the Pac-12 in uh, in tackles for loss. He leads the team in tackles. He's their main linebacker. They've They've produced some decent linebackers actually at, at Oregon State recently, but like he's not he's not enough to overcome the the playmakers that USC has on offense. So if I'm Oregon State, I'm looking at this matchup thinking, all right, we know USC's offense will shoot themselves in the foot. We just need to be there ready to pounce when they do. And that's how that uh, an upset happens. The, that's exactly how an upset happens. They just need to yeah. hold on where the, let USC let USC ground itself and make yeah. sure that their offense is the one that's scoring points. If it's the same USC offense that we've seen under Slovis for the first two games against San Jose State and Stanford, SC is right for the picking if you're able to score and put up points yourself. We saw how the Stanford game went. Uh, so it's a matter of SC getting the defensive performance they got in week one and week three uh, and the offensive performance that can at least sustain the uh the threat of anything, um, but ideally the offensive performance they got in week three up in Pullman. Uh let's talk about over under. We're also gonna look quickly, super quickly, back at last week's over under, recap how that went, but uh look forward to this week's over under USC and Oregon State. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right. Let's get to over under. We didn't have a proper, uh, as the Brits would say, uh, a proper review show or a fallout episode looking back at Washington State. Um, so we're not going to completely talk about the over under from the Washington State game, but I do want to give uh, a rundown of what went down. Going into the Washington State game, you were seven and nine and over under. I was eleven and five. <sighs> it wasn't the best week for me. Mm-hmm. It was kind of okay for you, I mm-hmm. guess. You went four and two. I went two and four, but I still lead. I have a record of thirteen and nine. You are at eleven and eleven after three weeks. Baby. Finally, five hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Big shouts to Amarito, L.A. Fred, and Adam and Clinton Pittsburgh, who went a perfect 6-6. Six and six. Two straight weeks, Adam and Clinton Pittsburgh, who, like, share an account here, 
They just are dominating. Two straight weeks of being perfect, uh, which puts uh, the tandem there top of the table, 19 and 3. Top of the table, just like Chelsea. Uh, 19 and 3 is their record over under. Uh, LA Fred is second for the season at 18 and 4. Uh, third place sees D set and PJ the swimmer at 16 and 6. Uh, and at 15 and 7, you have a bunch of people. Uh, Big Poppy 55, our buddy Steve in the Bay Area, and our good friends Darlene in uh, Dave in Orange County, and Darlene from Grand Terrace. I can't write. They're all D names. I know. I can't write. D read. names yeah. from two word locations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're good people. They got uh, beef, though. They, they, they do have beef. Uh, let's talk about the game predictions. Uh, Bill Connolly said it would be SC 36 to 29. You said 36 to 20. And I said 38 24. It was SC 48, uh, 45 to 14. SC mm-hmm. covered the spread, which is eight and a half uh, with Vegas last week. Uh, but let's get to this week's over and under. Really, yeah. really quickly, can I just blame uh, Jackson Dart's sleeves? For losing me a point in over under. Okay, can we talk about the stupid sleeves? I know you want to talk about the stupid sleeves thing, so I brought it up real quick. Okay, so if you don't know about the sleeves thing, uh, Jackson Dart fumbled in the second quarter of the game on Saturday. I thought it was a great play by the defender because it was a punch that was perfectly on the ball to to force the the fumble there. Uh, Dante Williams said on Sunday night in his conference call um, that sort of blamed the issue on Jackson Dart for wearing sleeves and also that there was a uniformity thing where Jackson Dart was wearing sleeves and the players weren't supposed to be wearing sleeves. And I I, I don't get it. Like, I think, if, I think if the sleeves were legitimately the cause of fumbles, I don't think players throughout every sport in America and the world would be wearing sleeves, like shooter sleeves. Yeah. Like would would Kobe have worn that shooter sleeve for Well, I don't know. Years? That, I don't know that basketball has the same fumbling situation. But uh but but either way would, would uh, NFL this theory, players be wearing the the sleeves? Yeah, this theory, this theory that uh that, that the sleeves caused the fumble, I don't buy it. I also don't know how serious this this all these comments were made. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's just it, I think it's more likely a uniformity thing. Uh and it's like you establish the rule that okay, everyone's gonna do this, 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 and this. Uh and it's not about wanting the players to not wear sleeves, it's about making the players buy into a rule, and if you buy into the rule, then that shows that they're buying into the team thing. I think it's one of those issues, Okay, and, but and, like, and, I, and I get it, but we, I just don't think this is the hill to die on about the sleeves. I feel like we're going to have this conversation a lot this season, but like, okay, if Clay Hilton said no sleeves and then somebody came out with sleeves, like people would lose their damn minds. Well, yes, yes. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, but but this is this is the thing that we see all the time, um, the, the narratives are so much based on outcome bias. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like you, you said to me earlier today, like Dante Williams kissing, uh, Jackson Dart on the cheek. Yeah. People think it's like, endearing. People, people if, if would Clay lose Hilton, their minds if Clay Hilton did that. People would be out of their freaking mind. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. If Clay Hilton did that. Yeah. 
People but, hated him saying that Paul Lobendon was the love of his life. We're gonna, Dante Williams does it. It's endearing. We're going we're gonna to have this conversation in the mailbag about the Helton thing. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, over under. USC and Oregon State. I have a two-game two lead in over under. It's time for uh, you to try to mount a comeback here. More than you've already done. All right. I set the line 2.5 meaningful Miller Moss snaps against Oregon State. What do you define as meaningful? Not garbage time. Like Miller Moss comes into the game because something is wrong with Keaton Slovis. And I put it at okay. 2.5 because I because I could see, you know, one Slovis loses his helmet, he has to come in again, you know, like I'm not talking I'm I'm saying like actual Miller yeah. Moss is on the field because Keaton Slovis can't be on the field snaps. And right. I think you and I, I trust that you and I can come to an agreement about sure. if Miller Moss is in there for a garbage sure. time drive, it's garbage time. That's not what I'm speaking about. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I guess it could get fuzzy if it's the third quarter and SC's up by 10 and Slovis is limping or something like that, but we'll cross that bridge. That would be, those would be, if USC's up 10, those are meaningful snaps in the third quarter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, hmm. I'm gonna say under. I, I don't. I don't think so. I think. I think Slovis bounces back, uh, stays healthy, and we see Miller Moss potentially late in the first fourth quarter, if that. All right. All right. Sounds good. What's yours? What's yeah. Your next my one? first one. Uh, over under 42.5 percent third down conversion rate for Oregon State. I'm going back to the well. Um, with conversion rate, we talked about that last week with Washington State. I set a line, uh, and it ended up being the under because SC held Washington State under whatever the hell I sent. Uh, set which I think was forty percent. Here it's forty-two point five percent because the Beavers are number one in the Pac-12, converting on fifty-four percent of their third downs, twenty for seventeen. Sorry, twenty for thirty-seven. 20 for 37. 20 for 17 would be real damn impressive. I mean, if they were that good, I mean, that would be incredible. But last two weeks against Hawaii and Idaho, 15 for 22. I'm going to point out. 68.1%. I'm also going to point out, because I had just pulled this up, uh, they're 15th nationally in third down conversion. So it's not just that they're yeah. good in the Pac-12. They're they're good in general. Yeah. Weren't terrible. I think, I think they were, uh, they had uh, a third percentage. Um Four against Purdue, but especially good the last two weeks. Again, it's Hawaii and Idaho, but being good on third down is worth something. Uh, and SC is holding teams to 32.4%, which is third best in the Pac-12. I believe 30% uh, is tops in the Pac-12. So SC's close to that, but still third. Uh, so I put the line at 42.5, which is sort of splitting the difference between where uh, OSU is and where SC's defense is. 42.5% third downs, over or under. I want to believe that the intensity we saw from USC's defense against Washington State after those first couple of disastrous drives will continue. I want to believe it, so I'm going with that under. All right, that locks me into the over. Uh, let's go to your next one. What do you got? All right, I got 1.5 rushing touchdowns for B.J. Baylor. B.J. Baylor is the new running back over at Oregon State. He's having a hell of a start to the season. He's had at least two rushing touchdowns in each of the three games so far. So the three games against Purdue, Hawaii, and Idaho, he has found the end zone twice on the ground. Uh, like we've said earlier, he leads the nation in rushing touchdowns. Um, USC gave up three rushing touchdowns to Stanford. So they have done it before, but aside from that, they really haven't allowed them. So 
Which way will it go? Will BJ Baylor keep his streak going? All right. Hold that thought. I want to talk about Oregon State and the names of their players. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, this is These are the players who have caught a pass this year for Oregon State. I'm just going to name some of them. The names on this list are incredible, and some of them sound like Madden-generated names that are USC-focused, like Silas Bolden. Like, you know, you took Silas Red and Bubba Bolden, and you, you put made them together. Silas Bolden. That's very uh, NCAA-generated. Trayvon Bradford. Very generated Trayvon, name. Trayvon, Sydney, and Alan Bradford. Mm-hmm. You put them together, yeah. Uh, but great names here. T- they're tight end. Tegan Catoriano. Tegan Catoriano. That's Amazing. a great tight end. Like, that's a, that's a tight end name. I like that. Champ that's... Flemings, Micaiah Tongue, and B.J. Baylor. All on the list of guys who have caught passes. B.J. Baylor is hell of a name. Hell of a name. Um... But I'm going to take the under here. I like SC to stop the run um, because that's what they've done. That's what they've done all season long. The only time that they haven't done that is for one run that Nathaniel Pete had for Stanford that went 87 yards. Outside of that, no one has run on SC. You, by the way, you didn't even mention Tyjon Lindsay, who's on this team oh, yeah. at, at total random. Like I feel like I remember Tyjon going from Ohio State to, to Oregon State, but at the same time... yeah. Like, famously, I did not realize he was still in college famous, football. <laughs> famously the adopted brother of, uh, of old Tathan. Tathan Martell. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, oh, and Max Borgie ran all over SC for like a drive and a half. Yes. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, you, you, under. Give me you're the taking under. that under. Okay. Yeah. Give me the under. Uh, my second one for you is uh, over under targets for Drake London. I feel like we keep doing the same over unders and i'm trying to find some diversity <laughs> but i genuinely think this is an interesting one to talk about yeah uh drake london targets he leads all fbs wide receivers with 29 catches uh, although he is tied with fresno state's jalen cropper uh 44 targets in three games again tops in the fbs he's averaging 14.67 targets per game so i put the line at 13.5 slightly under that average but 13.5 is the line. Uh, he had 16 against San Jose State in week one. He had 18 last week. Both of those would count as overs, but only 10 against Stanford in week two. Well, this is going to be interesting because, like, what did Slovis and Harrell learn from Jackson Dart? Just sort of saying, fine, I'm just going to target Drake London on every play. Um, 13.5 targets is a lot. I'm I'm really hesitant to take that over because this could be the game where Taj Washington takes over. This could be Michael Triggs game. This could be Gary Bryan, Jr. Gary Bryan Jr.'s game. This could be a game where USC's up big by halftime and then Drake London mercifully gets to stand on the sidelines for a little while. But I don't want to take the under. What do I do? What do I do? Um... I'm going to take the under just because, like, the, it's just the, the, the statistics, the, the probabilities. But I'm, I don't like it. And when I lose huh. it, I'm going to be mad. Okay. I was going to put the line at 14 and a half. And then I'm like, oh, but 14 and a half, she's going to take the under. Yeah. But I think it's going to be the over. So I'll put it to 13 and a half and make yeah. her think about it. Yeah, I don't yeah. like it. This yeah. is mean. You still took the All right. Under. My next one is 2.5 stacks for USC. Another another old uh, old favorite here. Oregon State ranks 14th nationally. They've given up three sacks this season. They've given up one per game. 
USC had all three of their sacks of the season against Washington State. Uh, so they're going up against a team that doesn't really give up a lot of sacks, but also USC theoretically, sh- more than theoretically, should have the best pass rush that Oregon State will have faced all year. So is USC going to get back up to that three number? Uh, give me the over. They didn't have any until the third quarter last year, last week. Uh, I think they are still sort of due. Uh, SC has gotten a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last three quarters of the Washington State game, they got a lot of pressure. They got a lot of pressure in the first two weeks. They just didn't get sacks. So I still think more sacks are coming. So give me the over of two and a half sacks for SC. Uh, which leads to my last over-under. Uh, follow me on this one. Over-under, 18 and a half yards as USC's longest run of the game. So USC's longest run in the game is at over or under 18 and a half yards. Got it? Makes sense? Yes, I explain that makes it sense. Right? Yes. Okay, so Keontae Ingram and Vimal Payai each have had runs of 19 plus yards in the first two weeks in San Jose State and Stanford, hence the line being at 18 and a half. But Oregon State has only allowed one 20-yard rush all season that was 24 yards to produce Xander Horvath in week one. Uh, ironically, the other two teams that have only allowed one 20-yard rush this year in, in the Pac-12, Washington State and SC. SC's was that 87-yard run by Nathaniel Pete uh, for Stanford. Uh, Washington State also uh, has not allowed a 30-yard run. Just like Oregon State. As an aside, as Xander Horvath and Nathaniel Pete feel like great names, like novel characters. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But continue. Sorry, continue t- taking us on this journey of this over under. Yeah, and um, Oregon State has only allowed twelve rushes of ten plus yards all season. Will they allow a rush of more than eighteen and a half yards on Saturday night? I am going to give credit to Oregon State's defense, which has done a very good job of limiting the run uh, this whole season. And I'm going to take the under here. And again, it's I'm just going with probabilities. Like the probability of there being a big run in this game is just lower than there being not. Uh, especially knowing that USC is going to need to pass the ball. Uh, I, I was really encouraged by the run offense in the in the first couple of games, but I also think that I still haven't seen enough to trust USC uh, to to take this. So I'm I'm I'll go under just probabilities, just playing playing the odds. All right, uh, this leads us to game predictions. Bill Connolly's SP Plus metrics says it'll be USC forty, Ohio State. Sorry, Oregon State. Wrong OSU. Uh, 25, with a win probability of 81% for the Trojans. Uh, Vegas, from the win, says uh, the win casino has USC at 11 uh, point favorites. What is your prediction for Saturday night? All right, I am going with um, 38 to 24 USC. Uh, looking at Oregon State's recent results, they have regularly given up points in the 30s. Uh, I still am distrustful of USC's offense. Um, the 24 for Oregon State is a nod to their their offense being being uh, dangerous at times, but I don't think this will be a bad performance by USC's defense. 
right. I, I, I dig it. And I think if you would have told me to name a score early on, 38-24 sounds about right. That's what the score was in 2018. Exactly, 38-24. Oh, was it? Oh, geez. Uh, Or was it 38-20? Either way, it was, it was just about there. I believe it was 38-24. I can double check um, that while you speak. But anyways, I like that score a lot. I am going to say SC scores a little bit more, which is one field goal more. Give me 41 points for the, for SC um, and a little bit better Crossing defensive. that for 40 points. Yeah, a little bit better on the defensive end. Uh, 17. So it was, it was 38-21, by the way. Okay. All right. Uh, so SC 41, Oregon State 17 is my prediction. Do you expect to come out? Let's, 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 let's transport ourselves into the future. We're recording a car cast at like 1 a.m. I'm going to be hopped up on some caffeine or whatever that I'm able to find to make it that far. Are we happy or are we frustrated? I think we'll be hapstrated. <laughs> okay. I think it's going to be like a medium kind of a game and not medium in the dirty word that medium is about USC. Not in that sense, right? Not the Clay Elton mediumness. But the word that rhymes with Melton? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know where... Uh, sure. Yeah. Um... Uh, what was the guy's name on the basketball team? DeAnthony Melton. DeAnthony Melton. <laughs> um, no, uh, no, I'm talking about, I think it'll be a medium performance in the sense that it won't be the most dominant performance you, you've ever seen, um, but it won't be a game in which I think SC struggles. Um, and so it'll be a middle ground of what the San Jose State and the Washington State game is to the point where you walk away and you go, yeah. Oregon State's a good team, but SC got the win and did what they needed to do. Shrug, move on next week. I have decided that the key to being happy as a football fan is really good third quarters. Like, the difference between what USC did to Washington State in 2020 and the difference and what USC did to Washington State over the weekend was just the third quarter being the no, quarter 100%. that's good. I, so, I like, part of me is like, I don't really care what happens. If USC has a good third quarter, I'm going to be happy. And and the timing of it kind of matters cuz like if it's a good I guess if it's a good second the middle quarters of the game matter. If you go if you dominate the second quarter and that's how you get ahead, then people are going to be pretty happy. If you dominate the third quarter and that's how you get ahead, people are going to be pretty happy. But like if you pull it out of your ass. If you pull it out of your ass in the fourth quarter, there's going to be like, "Eh, you pulled that out of your ass." And if you pull it out, and if you start out really strong in the first quarter, but then have three quarters of meh, people are going to be left with the three quarters of meh. So, like, it all comes down to third quarter. And that's what I'm going to be paying the most attention to this year. You know what I think the prime example of this is we talked about how narratives are set on results and whether or not you like the things that are happening. Yes. I saw so many people talking about how. Uh, I, I like I saw on on Twitter that SC would not have made that comeback down from fourteen points under Clay Helton. They just wouldn't have done it. But they did that all the and time. It's like, just different. No, than the they quarter. literally did that every single game last year. Yeah, did you watch every single. Yeah. But but we didn't like how the team looked. Yeah, and so people didn't respect the fourteen point comeback because it wasn't because they shouldn't have been in those holes and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. 
but when you like what the what the program is the trajectory that the program is on or you like that the game ended up as a dominant route like the Washington State game it's easy to say that that then that comeback had merit to it you know yeah yeah absolutely versus people were mad at the ASU game which yeah. Like I think as a third party observer, the ASU game last year, you're like, wow, what a, what a ASU, comeback! But yet the SC Arizo- fans couldn't be happy with the it. Arizona game was the one that I think warranted being mad at. But the ASU game was out like that was amazing. I loved that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's yeah, third to, quarter. Uh, Just win the third quarter, and we'll be happy. Let's get to the mailbag and wrap this thing up. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with a voicemail we got from Dan in Valley Village. Hey, this is Dan from Valley Village. Can't really put into words how fun that game was yesterday. It was exciting. It was surprising. Um, the, there, there are a couple thoughts I had, and you're going to have to follow me with on, the, on this one. Did you get the feeling that maybe after the first half, they went into the locker room and they kind of just were like, guys, we got nothing to lose here. And you got the feeling that they just didn't care. And by not caring, they just loosened up and just played the game that they normally play and know how to play. And they felt like just free and having fun. Uh, and maybe that's just me looking into it because Clay Helton's not there anymore. But the fact is, is like, that is two different teams on two different halves. And, yes, Alicia it totally reminded me of uh, the old Pete Carroll teams. But this was even more special in a way because, obviously, of a new coach. But it just felt, like, reinvigorating. Uh, as a fan, I was just like, what am I watching here? It just – this is too cool. And they're bouncing around. They're smiling on the sidelines. I don't know. It just really felt like kids playing backyard ball, and that was really enjoyable. Uh, and my second point is, you know, I think we as a team really kind of need to lean into what you guys were saying on the on the uh, car cast, which is know who you are. Like, uh, obviously the run game was not working. That was very apparent. Uh, and they started throwing the ball up. And it was working, and guys were getting open, and maybe that was Jackson Dart, maybe it was the soft uh, uh, Wazoo uh, defense. But the fact is, is like they leaned in on what they were supposed to be doing. And listen, I'm five foot seven. I can't shoot a basketball. I don't pretend to be a basketball player. I know who I am. I'm comfortable with that. And you know what? I think USC should be comfortable with what they are and what they should be, and that is just get the ball in the air. Anyway, great game. Fight on. Love you guys. Take care. Thanks for the call, Dan, as always. I love the point about the going into halftime and saying that we're just going to let loose kind of thing. Because um, Graham Harrell talked about it on Tuesday. He had an interesting answer about how, yeah, SC was came out in that game too tight. And then they had to decide, you know, towards the end of the second quarter to let loose. And then once they did that, they were able to play loose. And he's like, we've been tight for the last year and a half. Which, 
is incredible to hear a coach say that. Um, I think part of it is a little convenient of blaming, you know, the the struggles of like the offense on just being tight. But when you have this much talent and ability, and again, we've talked about how this scheme can act, can work and should work. Um, I, I see how there's there's some merit to that. I think you still need to, uh, if you're if you're Graham Harrell, I think you need if the team is is too tight, then you still need to scheme around around it to make sure that you can still win that way. You know, even if the, the team's not ready. But I think you look at the the game last year and you look the games last year and you look at what Keaton Slovis does in the fourth quarter and not just the dart thing, but why is his why are his numbers so good in the fourth quarter? Because you just gotta go. You just gotta go and 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 let it rip. And his numbers in this for, the year's fourth quarter through two games really damn good. And his numbers through last year's fourth quarters were really damn good. And the year before that's really damn good. And once you get to the fourth quarter, you just gotta go. You just gotta go balls to the wall and let everything out and just not worry about anything. And when SC has to get things done and can't think about it, they end up making plays. And that's how we were just talking about it. How That's how they pulled games out of their ass last year against ASU, Arizona, UCLA. Part of that is because they just let it rip. And here they were against Washington State and they let it rip. And in addition, had a dominant defensive performance on top of that. And they let it rip earlier on in the game then late in the fourth quarter to pull it out at the end. I don't necessarily think it was a halftime adjustment because I think SC took over the game in the second quarter. They just finally got the score at the end of the second quarter to go into halftime. And at that point, you go into halftime feeling so much better about yourself that you're able to really crank it up at, at halftime and feel good coming out. Yeah, and, and I think that the it, I believe that that would have been the message is – it really helps having a strong finish to the second quarter. You go into the it go into the the break, and then the 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 coaches do get to say, "Hey guys, like just just let you know let loose, just let it roll." The challenge for USC on offense and defense is what is it that's not letting you let loose and let it roll earlier in the game? Um, I I think it was pretty clear that the uh, the defense just needed get back to what you're good at. Stop trying to outthink the opponent. Just be aggressive the way that you need to be aggressive, um, and and things will come together. Let your guys shine uh, on defense. I think you know I, I I agree with you that that it's that it's partly Slovis maybe maybe Slovis specifically being too tight until that until late in the game when he has to when he just has to go out and let instinct c- carry him um but i think it's it's Graham Harrell's job to figure out how to get that out of him earlier in the game i think it's Jan- Graham Harrell's job whichever quarterback it is it's his job to work the scheme work the play calling around what will make the quarterback comfortable like you hear it all the time that after a, an interception or whatever, after quarterback struggles, you got to give him some easy easy throws to make. Just give him something simple to execute and get him back into a rhythm. And, and whatever it is that, that it'll take to get Caden Slovis or whatever quarterback is out there into that rhythm earlier, into the into the position where, no, you just just trust Drake London, throw him the ball, just, just, just start slinging it if you need to. 
Um, stop wasting. I mean, and, and, and this gets to what Dan was saying is like, stop wasting your time handing off on running plays that, that aren't going to actually benefit your, your offense at all, or maybe hand off more often if the running game is going like it was against San Jose state, like just do what's working, get your build some confidence into your offense. And I think building confidence has been the biggest barrier to this offensive success and that's what we all saw there, Dan, is is suddenly USC looked confident. And I think part of that, you got to give credit to Jackson Dart for just coming in there and looking crazy confident and crazy, just that that massive swagger that he brings. But there's no reason Keaton Slovis can't also have that swagger, can't also bring that level of confidence, because we've literally seen that level of confidence from him before. We've seen what it looks like when Keaton Slovis knows what he's doing and when he's slinging it. We bring up 2019 all the time, November of 2019. That's the slowest that you need to tap back into, and it's on Graham Harrell to tap into that that slowest, even if it means abandoning the run game, even if it means focusing in on Drake London or 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 whatever it is. You have to you have to go all in on that, and there is something to be said for what well, what have you got to lose? <laughs> you you probably already lost your job because Graham Harrell isn't going to be coaching at USC next year. You would imagine so. Just, just hey, roll. You never know. Well, SC's going to win every game and then keep the staff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what we all want. All right, let's go to an email from Tom in the Cayman Islands. Hi, Michael and Lisa. Just wanted to say it was so nice to finally be able to watch a USC game and not be conflicted about whether the wind will ex- extend Helton's time. Say what you want about firing a coach two games into a season. I have a lot more faith in Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna doing the right thing than the previous three ADs. Very much agree with, with that point. Uh, bonus points. Colon from Tom. USC actually beat an inferior team by a wide margin. For once, they passed the eye test. I can't remember the last time I could say that. In my mind, there's no real exception for the last rest of the season and uh, expectations for the last rest of the season. And that makes all the more fun to watch and cheer for this team again. Lastly, I turned in the game a little late only to see Jackson Dart's face. I was unsure if Fox was airing the game or they decided to put Braveheart on instead, fight on Tom in the Cayman Islands. Yeah, Elisa, Bravehearts, I know that there was that an Akin Skywalker thing that <sighs> was uh, was going around Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> Anakin Skywalker is, uh, is Jackson Dart like Star Wars. He was sort of trying to go for the scar on Anakin's face. He also referenced an LSUDB who'd done the sort of one-eye, one-eye black thing. Um, one-eyed so, jacks one-eyed jacks yeah either way yes they passed the eye test and and that was sort of what i was getting at earlier it's like a dart because of the eye oh my know. gosh uh the the eye test my third quarter eye test is something that has been failed many 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 times over the years for usc and it was really nice seeing usc come out and pass the eye test specifically in that third quarter so that's i just want more of that give me more of that give me fun stuff to watch uh, the rest of the stuff is out of all of our hands. And like you said, Tom, yes, I actually have faith in Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna to to identify a hire who has a, a, a who will tick boxes that you need to tick when you're making a hire. And whether or not they get their first choice or have to go three, four choices down the way, I have faith in them. So, you know, brush your shoulders off and just sit back and enjoy. Yeah. More eye tests, please. 100%. Uh, let's go to a Slack message from Josh and Buckeye Country. 
When JT got hurt, in came Slovis, and remember how that worked out. Slovis has been lackluster, and with the first signs of his ineptitude in the red zone, or how much of him being inept will it take for Dante to bench him? If he gets pulled because of his regressing, and we've all seen it, how long until he runs the transfer portal? If all of this occurs, Slovis being Graham Harrell's guy from Texas, do you see this creating a problem in the locker room? Thanks for the message, uh, Josh. I mean, the first thing to correct here is is that Slovis wasn't Harold's guy. Slovis was a recruit from the the previous staff that Harold uh, that that Harold inherited, and uh, I don't think there was any connection between the the two. I think that that Harold was really impressed with him in spring camp, and that turned him into his guy. Does that mean that it'll be difficult for Slovis to get ousted? I, I think so, because he's he has been Harold's guy since he made him the backup uh, coming out of uh, the, the the 2019 season. So that there is that relationship there. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a little bit premature to say that this is all on Slovis or that Jackson Dart would fit any of these things. And Josh sent this in before the, the Jackson Dart m- news came out. So a lot of that, co- the complexion of this conversation has changed, knowing that Dart won't be here for the weekend and he probably won't be here for a few weeks at that. And you're really not going to bench Slovis for Miller Moss at this point. I, I can't imagine seeing that. So really, you just you just have to sort of see what uh, what they're able to do with this offense with Slovis at the helm with maybe a, 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 a screw it, we're just going to go out there and, and let loose kind of mentality. And if and if he's not good enough, then he, he's not good enough. And you sort of work your way through that. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing is, let's just say Dart was healthy. Um, would Slovis go to the transfer portal? I I, I don't think so. Uh, I think if you're Slovis at that point, you might as well just go pro at this point. Uh, but maybe I don't. I don't know. I mean, all of this is hypothetical. So at this point, it's Slovis's job to to keep. Uh, darts darts hurt. Darts not going to be threatening him. Uh, and obviously, this question came in before. Yeah. Uh, all of that stuff. But the transfer portal stuff is is always interesting. I think at this point in Slovis's career, I think you're looking to the NFL uh, if things go awry more so than the transfer portal. Uh, let's go to a question. Two questions from SJ and Santa Barbara. Could Dante Williams be the next Dabo Sweeney? Dabo took over midseason when Tommy Bowden got fired at Clemson. He was known as an excellent recruiter and a great position coach. Dabo had no head coaching experience nor experience as an offensive coordinator. The rest is history. I would be hesitant to hire Dante due to his lack of experience. But this gives you something to think about. It only took Uh, one game. One game, Alicia. One game for people to start buying in. Okay, so... Here's the thing. A, it's very early. Um, I wrote something about this on fansider.com about how I think that Dante Williams, you owe it to him to keep him in the pool of people you're looking at. Because if he does go undefeated, you will be looking at him and saying, okay, he he knows how to rally this team. He has their support, all that kind of stuff. The problem for Dante Williams is the history of, of Clay Hilton. Like if Clay Hilton didn't exist... Dante Williams as a an interim that you look at and say, hey, maybe you could promote him straight up from here is something that you could think about. But I think Mike Bone and the guys who are making these decisions, they've got to know better than to open that can of worms. 
unless Dante Williams forced. And here's my problem with what the what they did with Clay Helton. Clay Helton didn't actually earn that job. He lost games. The team wasn't blo- like it was not like they were blowing out opposition. They didn't. They weren't passing the eye test that season either. No. So Clay Helton didn't actually win that job, and which is why it was a mistake to to hire him. Dante Williams can come out and win this job, but it but he has to win it, and that means pass the eye test every week, beat the teams you should beat, and maybe beat some teams you shouldn't beat, and go off and 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 be impressive against the Notre Dames and Oregon's and and uh, you know the UCLA's and and the, and the important teams that you're going to face this year. O- only after you do that do you get to say that he should be hired. Yes. Um. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the, the interim always should get an interview. I, I don't think there's anything wrong in doing an interview, something like that. But you, you, he, he shouldn't be on the, the, the top of the list. The standard has to be so high. Yes, the standard has to be ridiculously high. Now, I've talked about it before. I don't think that you should sit here and say you should not hire a coach without head coaching experience. I think absolutely you should not want to hire a coach with head coaching experience, because ideally you should go hire someone who's done it before. But one of the things that I've wanted to stress um, before, and this always happens where we talk about something on the pod and I think of like, no, that's what I meant to say. That's what I want to say. When I was talking last week and the week before uh, or whatever uh, about hiring, you you should still be open to someone who's not been a head coach before, like an Eric Bieniemy or Brent Venables or the like. Um, basically, my point is, uh, well, any, first of all, any of these things can work. There's there's a use case. There's an example for literally everything. There's been a Dabo Sweeney who has won the job like this. There's been a Clay Helton who's got the job like this and then didn't pan out like. You can find an example of anything, literally anything. That, the Lido C, yeah, the G five uh, program builder, yeah, there, the NFL there's an example guy. Of any, every one of these things, there's an example of the failed NFL head coach Pete mm-hmm. Carroll. Like, there's an example of literally everything, right? Um, having said that, I think SC's biggest thing and the thing that I want to stress this entire way is do not overcorrect based on the failures of the past. Be conscious of the failures of the past. Don't make the same mistakes. But don't make the same mistakes doesn't mean that you literally do the opposite of what you were supposed to do before. And I understand that it's easy to do that. And I understand that because of Clay Helton, you can sit here and be like, well, now we need someone who's not winning on the job because Clay Helton had to learn on the job. Like... Yes, you should not want someone who who's learning on the job because that's not ideal. Not because Clay Helton himself failed. And I think USC's problem and why they got into the problems the last few times is they went after Sark because, oh, well, we got the wrong Pete Carroll uh, OC assistant. We got the wrong one. Well, now let's get the right one. Uh, they, they hired Clay Helton because... Oh, we should have we should have hired Coach O in in retrospect because because Sark ended up having off the field issues with alcoholism and all this stuff. We should have just hired Coach O. So now let's t- let's make sure that we do hire the interim head coach this time. If you always 
focus and get hellbent on fixing the exact immediate problem of the past, I think you can get tunnel vision and lose the big picture. And the big picture is to find the best guy. And yeah, ideally that should be someone with head coaching experience. Ideally it's someone who's not learning on the job. Ideally it's all these other things. But ideally and in reality are not always the same thing. And the last point here, because I know Lizzie, you're champing at the bit here, is that luckily Brandon Sosna and Mike Bone have no connections to Pat Hayden. They do not owe it to to the to the ghost of Pat Hayden to fix Pat Hayden's mistake. They are out to make the right hire based on what they want. And so I think that is a good thing because they are going to look at this from a holistic approach rather than completely solving the crimes of the past directly, if that makes sense. Yeah, and they've made hires before, and they've made successful hires before. So that does matter. And, but, and but also, Mike Bones made bad hires, and he can learn from that, Yeah, too. and you learn from those things. But but also, like, let's be real here. USC might not get their first choice. They might not get their second choice. Like, I think Luke Fickle is the obvious choice, but he's also an Ohio guy. He may not want to leave Ohio. That might happen. And it it's not a slight against USC, necessarily. Guys may just not want to leave where they're at. Guys may decide that they're they're good where they're at. Like Matt Campbell has done that every freaking year forever at this point. So USC might have their targets in mind and we might all have the ideal target in mind, but those guys might not actually pan out, which means that you're going to have to go into your second and third tier choices, which is why I've been talking on Twitter about like, yes, you do need to look at uh, Kalani Sitake. He's had a lot of success with BYU. Is he the ideal candidate? No, but the ideal candidates maybe said no, and now you got to look his way. Maybe you look at Kalen DeBoer, my dude, who I was advocating to be USC's OC, and now he's the head coach at Fresno State, and now he's knocking off uh, UCLA and looking looking very competitive at, at Fresno State. Maybe you do need to look at him and what kind of qualities he brings to you as a as a potential third-tier candidate. You have to be able to look at these and say, okay, when you get down to second and third tier candidates, would you rather have the Kalen DeBoer or would you rather have the offensive coordinator who doesn't have any head coaching experience? And you might ultimately have to decide that the often the elite offensive coordinator, uh, the 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 Tony Elliott or or whoever it is that you want to name, maybe they do, maybe they are the better choice than someone like Kalen DeBoer who's at Fresno State, who you know every win that he has is is relative to to Fresno State, so. These are things that that they're going to have to take into account and you're not always going to be able to. This is why when we made our criteria for choosing a head coach, we put out four to five criteria points and we said, check three or four of those boxes. You can't be perfect. There is no perfect candidate out there. You have to be realistic. Yeah, things are going to happen. Uh, you, you want to mitigate those things from happening uh, for sure. Uh, SJ's next question. If Clay Helton was coaching last Saturday's game and the results were the same, would we all be pulling our hair out thinking Jackson Dart is going to somehow save Helton's job? Is this the exact reason Bone fired Helton when he just needed to avoid this kind of scenario? SJ! Uh, the answer is yes. Is this yes. the exact reason the fire... Like, was Mike Bone afraid of this exact scenario? It, the way it played out? Probably not exactly. But... It, 
getting rid of Helton when he did certainly prevented any sort of scenario like this. This sure. is this is exactly why I was shitting bricks after USC lost to Stanford. This was why I was saying you got to do it now. Just do it now and don't give him the opportunity because yes, this would have ruined everything. If Clay Hilton was the head coach and Jackson Dart put in that performance and we had this whole conversation about, wow, isn't Jackson Dart great? But it would it would it would cloud the entire thing because now you can't even enjoy a Jackson Dart performance like that because it's like, well, here we go again. This this transcendent quarterback is going to save Helton's job because he has 50,000 lives. I didn't want to see it. I'm glad we don't have to deal with it. Now we just get to enjoy the season and enjoy the athletes making plays. Yeah, and that leads us perfectly to the final question from Sean and Mincidious. Be honest. Was Clay Helton killing the podcast? Are you really more motivated now to talk USC football? Uh, and, of course, there's a comment from Marcelo who says, Michael and Alicia have mentioned multiple times, as have had their podcasts, that the constant fire Clay Helton drumbeat tended to hijack conversations and questions and you couldn't get excited about a new player or something cool that the team was doing or even a win without people raining on it with the quote, but Clay Helton is still there. Yes, all of all of that. Yes, 100%. And uh, yeah, it was, it's been a bummer. We've been forthright with that. Um, we have tried to carry on with as much fun as possible, but it's just been a bummer. And you guys all know it. Uh, the number of times that I had to sit here and say, like, guys, I understand if you stop listening to the podcast because it's just not fun to, to watch or talk about USC football anymore. Um, I don't like saying those kinds of things, so we had to say those kinds of things. So it's just, it's just, it is what it is. And, uh, and, and I'm relieved. I'm really relieved. And it, it's, it's not that Clay Elton was killing the podcast. I think Clay Elton was killing the enthusiasm that a lot of people had for USC football. He was killing independent rot. <laughs> uh, I don't get whatever that reference was. I'm guessing it's Seinfeld. That would be correct. Yeah. Uh, but e- either way, yeah, it, it wasn't the podcast because the podcast is a labor of love and and we were going to keep doing it because we're degenerates and we just can't help ourselves. But uh, it was very sad to see the enthusiasm of myself of michael of everybody that we knew wane in the way that it did um so that's that's what i'm most excited to see come back is 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 the hope for the future so yeah and it really is what marcello said it was the hijacking of every conversation because everything it, it got boring it got frustrating the thing that i hate about twitter and about conversations about sports in general on online uh, and really about most things online uh, is I'm someone who gets very frustrated because I'm passionate and I'm opinionated, right? So I get frustrated when someone I agree with makes an argument that I don't agree with. Does that make sense? Of like, and, and this is what would happen is like, we'd be talking about something and then everything would come back to, yeah, but Helton, and it doesn't matter, but because of Helton. And it would end up being a situation of like, yeah, we agree. We agree SC needs to make a change. We agree that Helton needs to be fired because SC needs to go in a new direction and all this kind of stuff. But we would end up inevitably 
having to just you end up making arguments that that you you don't even fully agree with because you agree even less with the with the way in which they were spread the the opposing argument like um well, like Case in point, we're seeing that now with we saw that this past week with the Slovis versus Dart, thing, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like I want Jackson Dart to start, but also I'm arguing with people on Twitter about how Keaton Slovis is probably going to start, and like, and that's not, a, and that's okay. <laughs> like, it's not the end of the world. Like, yeah, but no. like with Helton, there was literally anything, and so like, yes, we we too think that that Helton shouldn't be around any anymore around the program. But he's also not the worst head coach that USC has ever had. Yeah, and then having to say those kind of things then makes you the the Helton enabler. He's him, also not like, the devil incarnate, and he's also not doing it on purpose to try and destroy you. Like, there's a lot of theories out there. Like, he no, he genuinely is a good man, guys. Like, the, my favorite is the the con man one. Yeah, that he's a con man or so. It's like, no, no, he's just a good man who's not good at his job. Like, it's it's fine. Like, it's okay, guys. It's okay. Yeah. There so. doesn't have to be some deep, vast conspiracy to ruin USC football. It can just be that uh, uh, the Peter principle in play. Like, it's it's fine. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Clay is no longer a part of the narrative anymore, so yeah. we don't have to worry about that. We can yeah. have honest discussions about USC football that don't involve, yeah, but what does it mean for Clay or any of those things? And we can have these discussions more genuinely. And I enjoy that because there's only so much you can say about Clay Helton needing to be fired. And then again, then you're, it sounds like you're defending him when you're, you're not, yeah. or you're yeah. not wanting to. So. Yeah. So. Anyways, that's going to wrap up the episode. Thanks for listening. As always, we've gone a little bit long, but hey, you guys wanted it for sure. It was a, it was a double double whammy of an episode, Fallout and yeah. uh, and Preview, so it's always going to run a little long. All right. It's time to go play Madden. I've got some Madden games to play. <laughs> Our league finally <laughs> started, and league. I'm antsy to play. I'm the last person to play this week, so i got to go play right now. Holding up the league, man. Holding not on up purpose the league. this time. Not on purpose. Trust me. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> not on purpose. I know. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, email address, randofdroitpantside.com. Again, go play the over under. The link is in the show notes. Uh, pull it up on your phone, uh, The wherever you're listening to this, uh, on the computer, on your phone. And um, if you go in there, you can find the link. We'll also tweet it out as well, so you can go... Click in there, fill out your over-under picks, and uh, go challenge Adam and Clinton Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So they're kicking everybody's ass. They're the Alabama of uh, over-under over, over yes. right now. Don't let them just waltz away with this title. You can't do it. <laughs> you need to get up there, too. Yep. So go make your picks. So, All right. You got a final word? My final word is uh, quotable. As in... If you want to read a post-mortem of the Clay Helton era with some really, really good quotes in it that say a lot about uh, about what happened to USC, go check out The Athletics. Uh, um, Bruce Feldman and, and Antonio Morales did a really good job of uh, sort of getting the, the inside story on what went wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... We don't have an athletic code that you no, can get, this is, but this does, I'm sure if you listen, go, you can listen find to one any somewhere. other sports podcast out there, 
and you will get a <laughs> the code to the athletic. Yeah. Uh, right. But yeah, go also support all the uh, the USC beats people who do very good, who are very good at their job as well. So support everybody. Yes, yes, and us. And us. iTunes or yes. Apple Podcasts. Leave a review, five stars. We'll love you forever. But until then, we'll see you. See you. See you. See you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.